established as part of like the lore that these are characters caught in a recurring archetypal cycle where they die and are reborn and die and are reborn again and again forever, uh, locked in an endless combat. Uh, and part, I don't see there's any like anything that says that like your gender identity is fixed in that journey. Out of context, what you just said makes it sound like we were having an actual pretty intelligent conversation for a few moments. But so what, what happened, everybody? Oh, also, this is the Big Bang Theory Theory. Hi, my name is Nick. And I'm Kyle. And we talk about this TV show, but I don't know about you, Kyle. I thought this episode is also totally mid. But, you know, so we Kyle and I, believe it or not, are friends. And so very often we will have like a personal check-in before we start the episode. But this time we immediately were like, we got to talk about fucking zelda link androgyny oh oh and uh so yeah it's well and also you, you made me think of two things Kyle. one with the, the nausicaa angle like that matches because i think something that i don't know i guess must have freaked people out i love it is that uh when you wake up as as link in this one you've got kind of like long wild hair that is loosely tied back and you start with like, you know, for story reasons, you're stripped of all your powers. And I can't remember if you start totally in your underwear again or if you have part of the wild boy clothing. But yeah, you look like <laughs> you look like a weird little like wild plains explorer. And then you find in, all your other a, more traditional outfits. But In essentially a post-apocalyptic setting, you know, covered in, in monsters and weird machines, which is, I think, a, in many ways, a generic video game setting, but also the yeah. setting of Nausicaa and the Valley of the Wind. Well, and then the other thing you reminded me of is that, you know, talking about why there's really absolutely no reason that in one of these, you know, various iterative uh, reincarnations of Link, one of them couldn't be female... I don't think it was something that Nintendo got actual pushback for, but I remember, you know, the internet was disappointed when Nintendo, as a character in some sort of Zelda side game, was like, you want a female Link? Here is Linkle, or Linkette, or whatever. Look, she's a cute little Link, but, you know, she's not actually Link, and everyone's like, that's not what we wanted, Nintendo. <laughs> like, we don't want this weird little female throwaway link. We just want it, you know, well, we being the internet. I don't give a shit either way, but I agree that, like, why not? Like, why not do it? So, yeah, it would change. Not, I mean, it would change. Well, actually, I mean, I, I guess that's. And to be fair, Nintendo has been more. I, I don't know if progressive about this is the right word, but they've just been more honest that, like, yeah, for most of our games, why would gender matter? Like,. Why would why couldn't the person in the space armor shooting all the weird space vampire aliens be a woman? Uh, what possible difference could that make? So, yeah, that is strange. Like, I I also don't know if I would say progressive, but that nonetheless, um, not weirdly uh, traditionally conservative in the default male pattern. I guess like. The Nintendo games, no matter what what you can say, aren't broy. <laughs> like none of yeah. them, not a one. Yeah, no, and they make. Fun. I mean, Mario Odyssey, right? That was sort of part of the whole joke at the end of that one. It's like, isn't it a little stupid at this point that like Mario and Bowser are still fighting over which one of them gets to marry Princess Peach, and she has no agency in this whole conflict? This is just some weird dance the three of them are doing at this point. 
Well, you know, now that you've talked about marriage and weird dances, I think that is the best segue to get into this episode. Uh, oh, because yeah. I was, was going like, to for- why what happened because I've already forgotten like ninety. I haven't really forgotten, but yeah, you know, just, no, like, just just front load. Like again, uh, like I don't know. It, it feels like years ago now, but realistically, four or six weeks ago, <laughs> a really great episode. And um, you know, I was going to say that didn't like reset my standards in any way, but the pain is still there. And so for today, with uh, season seven, episode twelve, officially titled "The Hesitation Ramification." This is another one of... Oh, in, God. Is that really the title? It absolutely is. And I think this is in a, a long chain of episodes where there is a real, real, what would be intense relationship thing that happens. But I don't know. It could go somewhere. We know it won't. But it just feels fumbled. And to you know cheat here and use the, the short summary from the fan wiki, ahem... When Penny's big acting break on NCIS turns into a bust, Leonard struggles to help her, which results... That's generous. uh, Which results in Penny asking Leonard a bold relationship question. Meanwhile, Sheldon tries to learn how to be funny, and Raj tries to work on his game before talking to real women. That is actually, I think, a better summary than most, but except I I couldn't help... You know, when it says Leonard struggles to help Penny, uh, that is... He, not intentionally, but nonetheless, brutally shoots down her dreams with his very realistic and reasonable understanding of Hollywood. But it's one of those things where it's like, is this a moment where we have to bring in harsh reality? Or is this where we're just like supposed to comfort and play a role for a little bit? And that is because, yeah, it's it's Penny gets um, a scene in NCIS and she's super excited about it. She's going to be flirting with the, the big star and it's going to be her big break. And then she calls all her Mark friends. Mark Harmon, who is objectively a hottie. You know, I couldn't picture him when uh, she kept saying it and I haven't bothered to look him up. So, uh, thank, yeah, I guess verified hottie, according to Kyle, who I trust. And so, she, yeah, she calls all her friends and family and, you know, she gets together with all the nerds to watch it. Gets most of the way through the episode and was like, wait a second, my scene is missing. They cut my scene. And uh, that is a real thing. And it's very unfortunate. And I don't know if it would be normal to inform someone with like Penny's role as like a small character, whether she's going to be cut before it goes to air. I have no idea how that works. But, you know, she is, I think, very reasonably bummed out and you know not just a little she's very upset she was really counting on this and i am i think everything about her makes sense and then leonard you know it's i don't think this is unrealistic it's just at this point it's like you really should know better leonard is yeah penny is like am i gonna make it leonard's like well you're talented but realistically no like we're in a city full of people just like you and like, what are even the odds that you're going to get the same opportunity? And she's like, holy fucking shit, I can't believe this. But here's another weird turn, is that, um, you know, he never really does figure out the right way to make this up to her. But long story short, end of the episode is her drunkenly proposing to him. 
and him going yada and uh, it ends with him being incredibly bummed out that he hesitated on this proposal that Penny has stormed out and that you know he he believes he is now at the end of this part of the relationship but you know it'd be hilarious and I wouldn't rule it out though I don't think this is going to be the case that this is another one where next episode they just kind of forgot this happened and moved on (laughs) you know oh you guys had that weird fight at that party but you know we're going to absolutely move on from any sort of marriage proposal that may have come up that wasn't really something worth addressing let's talk more about that um Mr. Dr. Proton guy or whatever Professor Professor Proton. Proton So Kyle, let's um I mean there's there's more plot stuff to the episode, but like well, how do you feel just... how do you feel about our main plot here? Or what so, how do you feel about anything, Kyle? Well yeah, I just we should come back. I just can't so the part of this can we just get out of the way because I dread the longer we go without talking about it, the worse it will be. One of the subplots is yeah, Sheldon trying to prove that he knows how to be funny and it's awful. It is there's not a single funny bit in the entire like subplot it was it was torture did any part of that make you laugh no and so thinking about it now like i i 100 agree with you and i'm reminded of and this is years ago now i think this came out not long before we started our podcast this video went around about well no it wasn't even that there was some video that went around how, how like misogynistic the show was uh i'm actually thinking about an earlier video where it was just somebody released like a cut of like four minutes of an episode without the laugh track and without the laugh track it's like oh this doesn't have any jokes this is just two weird nerds making like obvious pop culture references about nintendo 64 and their inability to connect with each other and it's kind of sad and i feel like in this episode with sheldon his plot is again like if you cut out any sort of laugh track it's 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 real. I think kind of a bummer and a little desperate that Sheldon is like struggling to understand comedy in his very Sheldon like way, and he is not getting it. And you know, unfortunately, I am one of those folks who believe like it is difficult to teach some sort of like fundamental sense of humor, and uh, it's it's like Sheldon having none isn't going to suddenly develop one. And instead he's just like whiffing and whiffing and whiffing as everyone around him is like, Jesus, stop it, man. And uh, yeah, if, if it weren't for people uh, being sat there on the sidelines to giggle at every little bit of dialogue, I think this would be a, a heart wrenching uh, set of affairs. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely because we all know someone like this in, uh, real life, right? Where it's like the worst thing you can, if you're want to be like the worst thing you can do, if you are insecure about whether or not you're funny is try really hard constantly to make everyone laugh. It just turns you into an incredibly unlikable person. Yeah. Which and Sheldon seems to have some understanding of his, <laughs> his unlikability and that this, this is the episode where he's like, mm, I really got to dial it up a few notches here. I've got to, I've got to make my, you know, Kyle, why do we complain? It's like Sheldon's getting too soft. His edges are too uh, worn down. But here, 
here he is, full Sheldoning, and it's like, oh, god damn it, he's up to this shit again. <laughs> That's true. That is, it is like a monkey's paw thing, isn't it? It's like, isn't this what you wanted? No, that's fair. I think it's just, I complain because as someone who also struggles uh, to be laughed with and not laughed at, you know, all it's like, you just got to chill, man. Just chill out. The harder you try, the worse it is. And also... It just was very clearly – I mean at one point he's literally going through the dictionary and asking Amy to rank words uh, oh, based on yeah. which word is funnier than which word. And But it's not uh, – uh, kumquat is obviously funnier than ointment. You, the, yeah, you don't even need to ask the question. Uh, like, yeah, another thing that, that is clear. Whose <laughs> time are you wasting? You're wasting everyone's time. Well, and but, also uh, that made me wonder like how are they – how is he sorting through all the words to rank them? Because why would kumquat and ointment even be next to each other? Oh, God, I didn't unless, think about that. Yeah, because that's that's part of the, the joke, if you want to call it, is he's going through literally every word in the dictionary. And Amy, at one point, says, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> I don't think... She says, I don't think I want to date you anymore. Yes, that's it. That's it. And uh, that was when I was like, oh, this is the real relationship drama in this episode. <laughs> And then, you know, they just immediately move past it. One thing also that I thought was a real missed opportunity, even like felt like a, unless I just misinterpreted it, like kind of a blind spot is, you know, Sheldon in his quest to to not just like be joke type funny, but like any kind of funny he can briefly dabbles in physical humor. And he just goes, hey, Amy. And she turns and his pants are down and he's just there in his T-shirt and tidy whities and like, this is funny, right? And she pauses for a moment and then starts giggling, going, yeah, yeah, it is. And there's part of me that really wants to believe that, you know, classic Amy, this is, she's, she's giggle, uh, giggling with uh, horniness. She's, she's overwhelmed and tittering. But it seems like she is just genuinely uh, laughing at it being funny. And that's also fine. But, like, as far as I know, this is the most nude Sheldon has been in front of her or maybe in the show and that like her head doesn't explode is that seems very strange to me. I, I don't know. Like I, I, you know, don't judge it for what it's not, but that really, I did not get how that scene did not end with her somehow just howling like a wolf and turning into a cartoon. Yeah. That would have been better at least or at least funnier. And also, that was another case where I was like, oh, this this scene only exists so that it could be in the... It was, it, in a weird way, it's the complimentary oh. teaser to the Penny, like, takes off her shirt in the last episode game. You're like, absolutely I'm, right. I'm sure that all of the previews for this episode, without explaining why, was just was just Sheldon taking off his pants in front of Amy and then every, in hopes that everybody would tune in to figure out whether or not they finally fuck. Yeah, that's fun. That's like you're like, hey, we're an NBC kind of sassy family show. Check out this new ad where from behind Sheldon, you're really going to wonder if Amy sucks his dick. <laughs> um, and she doesn't in this episode, so. Uh, anyway, so yeah, that was awful. Just to, so returning back to your main point, uh, I don't, what do you, like, so here's the, what were, if you were in Leonard's shoes, what would you, because like basically everything he says is brutally accurate he's like i want you to succeed you know maybe in some sense you deserve to succeed as much as anyone else but insofar as this like uh 
is an industry where I mean he doesn't talk about luck, but he's just like yeah. You know, everybody wants to do your like all the L.A. is filled to the brim with talented, pretty people who want to do the exact job you want to do. Like, what are the odds that it's going to be you? Uh, I'm pretty sure every single actor I've ever met is at least like, I guess the surprising thing is that Amy is or not Amy Penny. Well, because it's a TV show. But I feel like in real life, Penny would be pretty resistant to this argument, because if you're an actor in L.A., you have to have heard this argument like a, a couple of times. Well, and I, I'm trying to think about what would be correct or what I would do or, you know, which are obviously the same thing. And um, part of me wants to say, like, right advice, like, wrong time. But, you know, she does ask him directly, am I going to make it? So I guess she is really forcing yeah, the issue. be honest. And though my, my polite, hey, maybe not right now instinct is like, let's deflect and talk about, like, how this just kind of happens sometimes and there's no reason to believe that now you've done this, you can get your next thing. Why would you get cut twice in a row? Huh? But if I, if I were to do it more kind of Leonard style, I don't know. Maybe I think trying to, to soften expectations without, without saying you're, you are as likely to totally, bomb and not get anywhere as anybody else is how i'd go about it like hey you know what does making it really mean because you you just got paid to be on a major tv show but nobody saw it that's a step up right that's progress awkward awkward situation i guess the only thing he could have said that was worse i did think like if you really wanted to if they'd really wanted to make the scene awful he could have just been like well maybe you had a shot 10 years ago when you first got here but realistically now Mm. you're over 30 so every if you haven't made it by now your chances are actually getting worse every single day by a significant degree yeah yeah that's um because that's that's actually Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say, that's the Sheldon as wingman scenario. <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the cognitive dissonance, I guess, of the show, which is that, uh, insofar as um, the actress playing Penny Kaylee Cuoco is already a famous actor, then it's silly to question whether or not she could ever be, you know, right. an actor on a TV show. But insofar as this represents an alternate universe where she didn't get that gig when she was 23, then it is even a question whether someone like Kaylee Cuoco, if she hadn't landed that first job, would be working right now in Hollywood. Well, and I haven't paid a, like traced back to the origins of her career, but I feel like she is one of these, like, long-term like teen hollywood mafia people who just like starts out quietly on a family show and then just kind of from there begins filtering into bigger and bigger profile stuff or at least you know someone like her does you know i guess there's all the other people from the og show that did not go on that path oh yeah shit she was on sorry i didn't mean that it's just you said that no that's what we're talking about go ahead and supplement you're right. She was on a she was on a couple of Disney. Allie, I fucking saw that movie. I don't remember. I also, and she was on Eight Simple Rules for Dating My Teenage. Yeah, so you're right. She was on a bunch of like. You're right. Uh, you know, she was a teen actress. Big Bang Theory was not her big break in that sense. Yeah. I mean, it was probably a break, but she had already had it was... racked up some pretty considerable. I mean, she'd been working for ten years before she was ever on the Big Bang Theory. She she went from successful to star. Right, which is, again, 
in that sense, it makes Penny's prospects even worse because if she's already 30 and she doesn't have like a 20 year resume at this point, right? Not looking good. Well, and it the what you were talking about, like how it's I don't know, not not ironic, but whatever you want to call it, that yeah, this we have this character played by this actress who has obviously made it, and it reminds me of. Uh, I think this is actually one of the original reasons I started to not like Bo Burnham was, um, I think it was on Conan, you know, it was on one of the late night talk shows and, uh, the, the, whatever host was like, Hey, you know, like you were, you're really huge and successful. And a lot of this started with you just like releasing your own stuff on YouTube, but like, you're someone who really made it. Like, what's your advice to other people who, you know, want to, want to try to do the same thing you did? And he's like, don't you're you're just you're not gonna make it your chance like the fact that i did is you know a statistical anomaly but like you should really just save yourself the heartache and not do it because you are almost certainly not going to make it and it was one of those things where like you know you could interpret it as a dark joke but i he i think this was one of those not even half joking but maybe like one sixteenth joking kind of things and i was like Jeez, dude, I do not like this one bit. It's like, like, you know, again, mathematically correct, but just to be like, ah, just yeah. fucking live your shitty life because I'm the lucky one. Well, I, I mean, I think he also, I, that's, I don't, I don't know why I feel the need to defend Bo Burnham. Go but for I'm it. Going to, and then I'm going to share you a similar story of someone who I think should burn in hell forever. Um, so uh, with Bo Burnham, at least I acknowledge that part of his brand, like there are a couple of things about that. The first is I think implicit in that is, yes, he's acknowledging that the reason it worked was because he was like one of the first people to ever do it on YouTube. So like, I think he's, he's like being honest that like if he had tried his same shtick, like a few years later, it would have already been too late to go viral the way he did. Um, and also he's very clear about all of the ways in which that career journey has traumatized him and made him, you know, slightly crazy pants in the head. So I feel like part of that don't, I mean, you can argue whether that's boohoo, you're so rich and popular and you get to direct movies and things and everybody thinks you're the voice of a generation and all of that shit. So maybe, you know, cry me a river. But, you know, on the other hand is at the very least, I feel like it's a very compassionate brand for him. I don't think he's telling people don't do it because, you know, I already got their first baby so much as don't do it because it's not it's not necessarily going to work. And also you're basically selling your soul for a few YouTube likes. And trust me, it's not even if you even if you obtained all the success that you wanted, you might not like it as much as you thought, which seems to be a big part of his whole thing. Um I'm gonna say this feels like a very compassionate reading, but uh, well, you're 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 allowed to your interpretation. Did you ever watch the CJ the X video about Inside, the four hour one that's about transhumanism? I don't think I did. No. Oh well. Yeah, I'm not sure think, I will. <laughs> if you ever have a four hours to kill on YouTube, you should watch that video because it's quite good and it's all about how yeah, Inside is basically you know Bo Burnham's plea to a younger generation of you know, people who have lived their entire lives with the internet to not let it take over their lives because it just inevitably, like everybody thinks that, 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 that inside is about just like how COVID makes him sad, but really it's about how the experience of being perpetually online since he was 18 years old has sort of robbed him of the ability to forge genuine connection with people which is why, like, the subtext is he's not actually living his life that differently during COVID than he was before COVID because he's been 
he's been trapped inside his own head for years because of what being an internet celebrity did to him. Hey, we all went through COVID, and I'm glad he made a good special, but I didn't have to be as big of a bitch about it. Oh, That's that's fair. I, uh, I didn't, but, like, spend a, a few months inside, and I was like, the youth are doomed! <laughs> yes, but you hate them anyway. You, If all the Gen Z and Gen Alpha kids just committed mass suicide, you would not shed a tear. No way, I'm always an ally of the youth. The, the faster anyone my age or older dies off, the better. Fair enough. Um, but I was also going to say, yeah, Jason Siegel. I rem- there was an interview where he was, I think, on like NPR or talking. No, it wasn't. I mean, it, it was. He uh, it was. He was talking to Mark Maron uh, because he had some movie out. Um, I think the one where he plays David Foster Wallace. And you know, in talking about that, he was doing a retrospective of his career. And you know. He started off that interview by talking about the trajectory of his career, which is that, yeah, you know, my parents just took me to a few auditions because we already lived in L.A. And I, you know, I auditioned for Freaks and Geeks and I got on that. And then basically for the rest of my life, whenever I would work as an actor, I would talk to uh, what's his name? Um, who's the guy who the Judd Apatow. Apatow. He would, yeah. And he would put me in things. And also he would help me. Uh, he would help me work out, you know, I, when I was writing my screenplays, he gave me some advice and, you know, he get, helped me produce a couple of things and pitch for getting Sarah Marshall. So, you know, and so he, he tells all of that. And then and then he's talking about like, yeah, and these days, you know, people just get off the bus into L.A., uh, uh, you know, and they're trying to be actors. I just want to tell them, you know, stop, man. You know, just don't do it. It's not going to work for it. like he he basically said that exact same speech that Bo Burnham made, but just like completely from a place of like not acknowledging any of the like very obvious privileges he had hey well, he had just admitted to, and I wanted to like murder him. Well, and also you just reminded me of a, a conversation I had with a, a comedian the other night. I was, I was doing a comedy show, and we had a, a traveling comedian come through who's who's part of it. And um, she had worked or lived both, I guess, (laughs) for a time in Brooklyn. And I talked about how I was in L.A. for a few years and how, like, she made a crack about, you know, the comedians that go out and hit three shows a night. And I was like, yeah, I felt so old. Like, I I get there and I, I just can't do what these other guys do where, you know, they do, you know, three shows, take a break, go to another part of town, do another three. And they're just grinding and grinding. And she's like, well, yeah, but you got to also question whether that's effective or not. And that's when I was like, I guess that's true. Like, I would see all the same people at the mics and they're not, you know, suddenly most of them, they're not not breaking upwards into the bigger rooms. And wouldn't you know it in the bigger rooms, you see these like no talent hacks that get stage time just because there's some old B or C less celebrity that still knows anybody. And it's like, that's the system. That's like, you've been a part of it. And so, yeah, you ask for favors and you get to keep doing it. But the rest of everyone are just like, Oh God, if I, if I claw and struggle and beg, maybe someone will notice me, please. Uh, yeah. So good times for everybody. Yeah, it's just awful. So, long story short, listeners, uh, living in Los or trying to be a creative in Los Angeles is a nightmare, and it will break you. Uh, I'm not saying you're not entitled to try it. Uh, we've all done it. Uh, I'm just saying it is not. 
uh, yeah, like Leonard says in this episode, it will make you a little weird. Although, you know, I mostly came out of it not bitter. I was this, so oh, I'm sorry, Nick, if this sounds like a weird, different sort of bragging. But I was driving back from a uh, uh, from somewhere with uh, with one of my partners last night, and I was just dri- driving through Beverly Hills. And I was like, yeah, I remember when I first wanted, moved to LA. All I wanted to do more than anything in my life was just sell a screenplay and live out here. And I really thought that that was going. I didn't ever think it was likely, but that was like the hope that kept me going, kept me writing, kept me living here. I'm like, and all that's gone now, <laughs> uh, and that's weird. It's like, but I do, you know, I I do like the people. That, you know, I'm living with you, and I'm dating people, and I, you know, I wouldn't trade my current life for that other life where I'm a miserable genius writer. So that's good. Um, you know, that's clarity to have, but, uh, but it is, it is sort of a weird thing. You, I do some, I was basically the, what I, the end of that random tangent was that I am nostalgic for a time when I had like hope and passion <laughs> in my life, as opposed to just like, you know, a sense, you know, like love and a sense of responsibilities towards the people I love, which is a, just a different yeah a real albatross around your neck <laughs> it's a bit of a bit of a bullshit brag but um well, the... but, but i get it like you know the, the difference between having like a good stable life and being like some sort of like frenetic dream chaser yeah and... it's a high right it's a rush chasing your dreams well and at the same time though like i'm not saying that you should like never write again i understand if you you know don't want to pursue it with intensity but i think like taking a step back to be like well you know i can be happy in the meantime is important because i also think uh and i know you know these people as well people who are you know and you're a little younger than me but you know let's let's just say our age and older who you know like kind of talked about haven't really made it and their chances are not getting better and yet that is they're like this is just gonna happen i just gotta you know and like not like they're not gonna be able to keep finding work and living and stuff but you know the idea of the the big breakthrough being the the goal is uh harmful i think beyond a beyond a very specific young point (laughs) yeah i think that's and maybe it's inevitable maybe it's uh just part of like getting older is that you sort of come to that realization on your own, hopefully, as opposed to having it being some weird, like 50 year old who never grew up and who still like lives in a, like a shitty rundown apartment and, you know, alienates everyone on his quest for his next gig. Yeah. Uh, I I think the brutality of the criminal justice system is what's taught me the lesson, but you know, Hollywood helped. (laughs) But also, is... hey, Stuart and Raj try to oh, talk to people, last, right? They try to talk point. to some ladies. <laughs> Just last real thing, which is I do think that's why Leonard – it makes perfect sense for – because Penny basically proposes from a uh, – with a tone of resignation and and sort of an acknowledgement like, well, I guess you're my consolation prize if I can't be a famous actress and live my dreams. You're okay, I guess. Yes, which that's is... – yes. Oof. Which I totally, yeah, I wouldn't want to be proposed to that way either. Well, and you know, I I think in a in kind of a bummer way, and this actually reminded me of like a personal experience that was not nearly as intense, is that um, you know, not only is the proposal not great, but she is drunk, and you know, Leonard, I think if he wanted to be fun, could like lean into it and be like, ah, let's get married. 
But this is a woman who once accidentally got married in Vegas on a whim. And Leonard, I think, is, yeah, not the kind to just, like, casually throw around, I want to marry you too thing. And so the personal experience is, like, I once had a drunk girlfriend be like, we should get married. And when I was in that position, I went, ha ha, yeah. And you know what, you know what the next day? We weren't still talking about marriage because we weren't drunk anymore. Who knows what could have happened? But yes, Penny it takes it very seriously and is very hurt. But also, I don't think Leonard necessarily did anything wrong other than, you know, he did he, he did something wrong in that he didn't play it cool. But I don't think he his it would have been the right response to be like, yeah, let's do it. Which is, yeah, basically that's his crime threat the entire episode is he's just constantly not chill. Yes, which is very often his crime, right? That was like the episode I did really like, you know, the big Thanksgiving episode. That was his whole thing was being so upset about the accidental marriage. And that too, you know, led up to what seemed like it was going to be a relationship ender. But then, of course not. I don't know. I I feel like I I should bet like five or ten bucks on them actually just completely moving past what happened this episode today. That would be a bold move, but I just feel like the show is not above it. So anyway, Raj and... Yeah, Raj and Stuart, like, I don't know. They were going to go hang out with Wallowitz and Bernadette, and the two of them are like, Raj, when you said you had a date, we didn't think it was Stuart. Why don't walk walk And they go to the mall, and their whole plan is like, if we're going to talk to babes, like, we got to be able to start with... Well, actually, they, they talk about this first at dinner with, uh, with Wallowitz and Bernadette, and then they follow through. It, yeah, it, you it know, contains, again, one of the least likable uh, – I mean, I get that it's supposed to be a joke, but it's something – I swear, some of it is just the guy's delivery um, because because they're like, if you get – because how it starts is he's like, well, if you get nervous around attractive women, just try talking – you know, why don't you try talking to normal women? And he's like, what, you want me to talk to fatties and uggos? And I'm like, oh. something about the way he says fatties and uggos is just – Rubs me the wrong way. So, you know, I want to be there with you, but I was like, hey, Raj, telling it like it is. You know, you know I belong in a, a, a crossover of the, the fatto and uggy, whoops, I mean, sorry, uggo and fatty demographics. And so I, I feel like I have grounds to say this, but yeah. I mean, what, what do we have to just, what is the inference we make if we're saying talk to people who you don't find attractive? <laughs> talk to people who would be traditionally less physically intimidating well no the final advice that he gets is just talk to normal people or just like yeah talk to people without the alternative motive just to get you that's like uh real kyle it's not that oversharing but this is the funniest part of this episode was this was actual therapy advice that i got and actual therapy practice that i had to do which is uh my homework after I was diagnosed with being way too socially anxious was that I had to once a day make con like make, you know, a, uh, what's even the, what do you call it? You know, communication conversation. Yeah. Just casual, casual conversation, small talk. That was the word I was looking for. It's like once a day you have to make small talk with one random person just about, the weather or anything just long enough to he's literally just ask them hey how's your day going and listen to their answer and go awesome and move on and that was i did that every day for like 
two months, you know, mostly the the baristas downstairs at the Starbucks near my office. As I would go in, I would get my drink. I would go like, hey, how's your day going? Great. And I would walk out. And you know what? It worked. Fucking worked. And, and now you are a, a yeah. powerful and domineering social presence. No, I'm not. But I, I am able to talk to girls now. So that, you know, it was... It it did the exact thing for me that it did that it would do for Raj and Stuart. Well, and they do eventually. And after... also, it does make you super popular with the Starbucks. This was the weirdest part was I was like, well, what if the Starbucks, like, won't they feel like I'm impinging on their day by trying to talk to them? And, like, the first thing I had to understand is you have a way too over, like, sophisticated understanding of what casual conversation actually is and how forgettable it is. It's like, you just, you got to stop putting so much pressure on it. The whole point of these interactions is to like, you know, scratch a communal itch and then forget about it immediately. And nobody ever thinks about it two seconds later, but it does turn out if you ask people every day, Hey, how's it going? Having a good day today. But you know, even months later I go in, they're like, Hey Kyle, how's it going? I'm like, great. How's your guys' day going? And they're like, Oh, great. Good to see you. So I have a, a regular, coffee stand i go to and the other day i was i don't know just zoned out in the morning get it's a drive-thru i get all the way up to the window and then my regular coffee lady's like what are you having and i reach for my back pocket and i was like oh shit nothing because i apparently forgot my wallet she's like you know what forgetting your wallet that means you need coffee all the more so don't worry about it today and i was like oh shit cool thank you and uh you know i was like well that's great uh that worked out that could have been a very annoying thing that turned into a nice thing. Uh, I'll, you know, come back tomorrow, same stand, pay him back tomorrow. Uh, and then I go the next day, go to pay for my coffee. And uh, with a little bit of hope in my heart that it was a freebie, you know, get the new stuff. And then the lady's like, oh, we get you the one for tomorrow too. And I was like, yeah, of course. But there was a part of me that was like, you fucking pieces of shit. You took away the good feeling I had yesterday. This is just commerce, isn't it? Yeah, we know each other, but we're not doing any favors, are we? <laughs> Such an, I, I love that your, uh, that your understanding of how that should work is, oh, you, you got me free coffee one time. Therefore, you should get me free coffee Every time for the rest of time. Well, not every time. You, you know, I'm saying, you know, I get the freebie that once. I don't think I come back as like, hey, guess what? I'm the guy that never has his wallet and I got away with it. And now I know that you suckers are going to give me whatever I want. Good, because that's how the mafia thinks. Well, and they're pretty effective. So even though, I don't know, the closer I get to finishing the Sopranos, the more I wonder if uh, it's it's all worth it because I don't know. It's, it's like having free sandwiches brought to you every day is pretty good, but <laughs> that seems to be one of the few yeah. highlights. Living of... in constant fear and paranoia, and you know, having to physically and mentally dominate everyone around you or risk being killed at any given moment. Yeah, well, that's a and, lot. well, and like the lifestyle rewards, you know, it's a lot of this takes place in the early two thousands. And it's like, yeah, you know me, I just spent the last weekend uh, trying to chop somebody's body into pieces and bury in the evidence after we had a life-of-death struggle, but you want to know what? Many flat-screen TVs as you can handle. It's like, Jesus Christ, no thanks. Uh, what are we doing with this episode? We're all over the place today. That's fine. This is what the show should be. This is like... 
from the beginning, it was like, you know, you talk too much about the episode itself, and we are finally, you know, just a little over halfway through our in- intense long-term project, uh, getting it, getting where we should be. But, that said, I mean, anything else about this episode? Are you ready to talk about things we like that we're really just kind of doing anyway? No, I think we're, I think I'm pretty much through the talking about all of that stuff. All right. The hesitation ramification, you're done. Let us never speak of thee again. Instead, now we get to the part of the episode where once every two weeks, uh, we talk about one of the things that we actually like and that we're just resisting talking about the entire time that we described the episode of The Big Bang Theory. I've got one loaded up. Would you like to go first or me? Uh, no, you can go first. Okay, so um, I am going to recommend the most obviously, like, mainstream, successful, positive, nerdy thing that I think I have in ages, which is, it took me a long while, but this week I finally saw that, that dang old new uh, Dungeons and Dragons movie. Um, I'm going to tell you, I thought it kicked ass. I loved it. Oh, good for you. I'm glad oh. you liked it. Did you see it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was, um, well, and I think... Who the fuck are you talking to? Well, that's why I was like, I was like, I can't believe that we haven't talked about this yet so far. There's gotta be some reason for that, but, uh... Well, my problem, I rec... Like, I... Yeah, it was so popular at the time, I didn't want to recommend... I recommended it as part of a triple crown of movies alongside Guardians of the Galaxy 3 mm, and John Wick yes, 3. Yes, yes. I was like, these are three... You In a weird way, all three of these are sort of Dungeons & Dragons-based movies, just at, with very different vibes. Well, and Kyle, so the, the person I watched the movie with was... A good bit younger than me, but I think you are close enough in age that you almost certainly have seen the the early two thousands. Oh. Yeah, yeah, Dungeons. I have. Oh, well, geez, with Justin Long, isn't he in that? I think so. I he, you know, him or you know, some other dork that looks a lot like him, and it's. I think Marlon Wayans plays the thief or the rogue, and well, no, he, they're all that's they're I. It's been a long – I only saw this movie like once or twice, but I remember one of the weirdest things about it is they're all th- – like there are two thieves. It, like yes. one of the one rules of D&D is that everybody does a different job, and then the two main characters are buddy thieves who both have the exact same job class. And it's like, really? Yeah. Well, I mean, though that is definitely a valid complaint, that is also like the least Way of the problems with that movie. <laughs> And so when this one came out, um, first of all, I feel like it wasn't really promoted at all. And then when I learn of it, I'm like, fool me once. Come on. This is not, not happening. And then it gets all these great Rotten Tomato score. And I'm like, okay, I have brain cancer. What's going on here? This couldn't have happened. Uh, and then it was just a matter of time before I actually got to see it. And so finally this week, and yeah, it's, you know, I think... The only, like, real criticism I have of it is that it doesn't do anything, like, mind-blowing. It's It didn't do anything that, like, left me going, holy crap, I can't believe I had that experience. But it was over, it was just otherwise, like, it kind of made me think, um, well, it's making me think now, I guess, of The Conjuring, where uh, The Conjuring is itself, like, a pretty straightforward genre horror film. But I feel like it's just done exceptionally well. 
And this is just like, a, yeah, like a, a fantasy buddy group that I feel like does a great job of never having to over explain or question the audience's intelligence and like really focuses on the characters as characters rather than, you know, little bits and bobs that are from like an actual game that they're trying to like pretender characters. And so one, and then one criticism I heard, which I will agree with is uh, something that I was delighted to hear about. And I don't think this is a spoiler is that, I knew Chris Pine was in the movie, and I assumed him being Chris Pine, he was going to play some sort of warrior character. But no, he is a bard, and that rules. But the, crit crit the critique I heard was for a bard, he doesn't sing nearly enough. And 100% uh, agree. Really, they really dropped the ball there. Like, you know, he's great. I loved him. But I feel like his role should be to be singing so often that it becomes obnoxious and the group has to begrudgingly put up with it because of its benefits. And I think maybe he has one or two kind of brief silly songs. <laughs> so, hey, hey, stinkaroo, six out of ten movie. But no, it's it's, it's so much fun. Um, Yeah, and I, I don't want to talk too much more about it because I don't want to spoil I'm, anything, I guess. I'm but... so glad you liked it. I mean, I really liked it too, but I didn't, I, I wasn't sure it would be your your jam. Uh, and I'm sure it's not like your favorite movie ever, but I'm glad that you had such a positive experience because I definitely, you know, I wish I wish the it, the weirdest part of the D and D movie is that there's only one of them because dungeons it feels like you could make, you know, as they sort of show, it's a very big universe and a very broad genre, and it feels like we should be making like six or seven different movies like this all the time, all slightly different tonal whatevers. But you know, for the single movie that's going to be the ambassador of the thing. Uh, I thought it was pretty, pretty good. My other question is, so if you like the movie and you love video games, are you excited about Baldur's Gate 3? I am. I'm not excited exactly, and that's just because I haven't played the other two. I know that... You've never played Baldur's Gate or Baldur's Gate 2? Yeah, I know. It's... I... The whole wider D&D &D world I have no way of avoided it but also I was never drawn into it and so while I was deep into my JRPGs growing up you know these more traditional western Dungeons and Dragons based RPGs were that I completely just passed them by and so I, I'm excited about it in the sense that I understand that it's probably going to be an excellent game and I do want to play it but I don't have, I'm not like a, I can't, I'm not like a long time fan. It's going to be a new thing for me. I hear, I hear people are really embracing the, the, the fully nude and genital options in the character creation. So yes. And you can fuck a bear. Nice. Okay. Yeah. So. Or like actually maybe it's that you can turn into a bear and fuck a human. Either way. There's, there's some. Yeah. I saw some article about like a, a pretty horny multiple animal shape shifting sex scene. So. Which I embrace. That's I, 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 I like. Uh, you know, who knows if the game is going to be good or not? It sounds like it really probably will be, but just um, how uh, openly weird they they seem to be making it, I really appreciate. Yeah, I'm. Uh, you know, I'm don't have a PC that can probably run it, but I'm looking forward to it coming out on PS5. I'll give it a shot. You know, I've been a little over. 5th edition D&D for a long time but you know as a game engine uh, it probably works pretty well so I'm looking forward to uh, 
uh, test driving that car. Um, anyway, speaking of my recommendations. Yeah. Speaking okay. of. I don't know why I paused there. But uh, it's weird. I just I feel a little weird because I had one movie that I specifically – this was my mistake. I set out. I was like, I'm going to watch this movie. It's going to be my – I, maybe even I won't call it a nerd recommendation because I didn't know if I was going to like it, but it's going to be my nerdy thing that I review. Uh, and I didn't finish it. I'm, I like it, but I just didn't get through it. I fell down a rabbit hole. As, uh-huh. you, as you well know, I, basically all I've done... So this is a dual recommendation that is basically based on is the only two things that I have done in the last two weeks since our last... All I have done is rewatch Venture Brothers mm. and replay Final Fantasy IX. No connection between those two things whatsoever. Uh, I'm rewatching Venture Brothers because the final movie has just dropped, and they're saying that's going to be the end of the Venture Brothers for some significant amount of time. And I was like, there's a lot of shit that I don't remember about the Venture Brothers. So I'm going back and I'm rewatching it. Still great, still lovely. And then, and I will talk about it in slightly more detail in a second. And then I'm also. Uh, Replaying Final Fantasy IX because after I played Final Fantasy VII Remake, I think there's some talk that they're going to remake Final Fantasy IX. And I was like, mm-hmm. ooh, ooh, I don't feel as good about this as I feel. Like, I was not particularly upset by the idea of remaking Final Fantasy VII because I was like, yeah, I get it. I mean, the story's kind of interesting, but the, the graphics are balls and it's told in a really convoluted way. And uh, it's totally something where I could see like a good argument could be made for just if you just updated all of the game mechanics and everything, uh, you could make a totally you could take that same story and tell it in a much better way. Turned out, I don't think that's true anymore. Uh, even a Final Fantasy VII, I think the remake is its own thing it, it, and yeah. of questionable quality. Interesting, but not uh, you know. Well, I don't and- think it's going to go down history as its own as a classic, but. Uh, well, and when you bring up your apprehension, the first thing I think is like they absolutely cannot use that seven remake battle system. Like I hope, you know, yeah. they, they might be proud of it for that one, but like no nine. It Final just Fantasy can't, it can't. is a. I don't Final Fantasy nine. I don't want to argue that it's a perfect game, in the sense that like if you went back and were if you had a time machine, you went back. There aren't plenty of little things that you could fix about it. But I would argue that as a Gener- as a PlayStation 1 JRPG, it is maybe the greatest PS1 JRPG that was made, hands down. And that is its own kind of really uh, specific success that I just don't know how you're going to to change anything about it without ruining some of the things that make it sort of special. Um, so I'll go back to that. But first, the Venture Brothers. I've talked about it before on this show, but for those of you who... Uh, either tune out or you know don't remember the nuances of every single recommendation I make. Venture Brothers is started off as a send up parody of Johnny Quest and other sort of like Hanna Barbera action teen adventure shows about uh, you know uh, teen boys and their parents who are usually you know heroic and confident you know facing down danger together in a hostile world and it was comedic and weird and sort of uh, very tongue-in-cheek about how, you know, awful that life would really be and how obnoxious the people in it would be and how silly it is to have, like, all these supervillains and stuff. But then, over the course of its, you know, six seasons, seven seasons, it slowly evolved into this really deep consideration about, like, the nature of... 
I don't even know like the a nature of, of pop culture. <laughs> um, yeah, pop culture and nostalgia and you know family relationships and everything else. Like it is just it, it had a really unique sense of humor that was like constantly not like anything else on television. Like in an episode I just watched, you meet a character where who's you know, they're interviewing supervillains for this team, and two of the supervillains are Lady Hawk Johnson and Lyndon B, who <laughs> are characters. She's a winged her- she's a winged villainess named Lady Hawk. He is, you know, an insectoid villain named Lyndon B, but when during the day she's a person and he's a bee, and during the night he's a person and she's a hawk, which so it is it is nothing more than a play on the joke of the movie Lady Hawk, plus the fact that uh, Lyndon B. Johnson's wife was Lady Bird Johnson. That's the entire joke, but it is just told, is played entirely, like, they don't explain the joke to you. It's just a character in the thing. Just like they don't explain why David Bowie is the leader mm-hmm. of the mm-hmm. evil organization that runs like half of all the evil things on the planet but he is and as long as he's the evil leader then you can bet for sure that his henchmen are going to be Iggy Pop and Klaus yes. Nomi because his why diamond they? dogs yeah <laughs> it's like because, I mean what else who else would be David Bowie's henchmen which is also another great thing that you can say about the Venture Brothers is if you do dive down any of those rabbit holes, you inevitably learn interesting, cool things. Like I just name dropped. There's this guy named Klaus Nomi. I had no idea who that was. Um, I just knew that one of David Bowie's henchmen in the episode where he appears is this weird, you know, mime guy with Mm -hmm. like sonic powers. I was like, who the fuck is this supposed to be? So I looked him up on the wiki and they were like, no, there was a real German, uh, singer musician who hung out with david bowie who like sung about nuclear bombs in this incredibly high haunting voice and did weird performance art dances on stage and you can watch them on youtube and it is a fantastic thing to know so uh nick if you've never watched if you've never i'm familiar with klaus nomi (laughs) okay that's why i love you that's the real reason it's like i it's like it might even be because of the venture brothers honestly but (laughs) you're like you don't have to tell me this shit um so, so you're always learning new things about like 70s and 80s and ni- uh, 70s and 80s pop culture that you didn't know before. And then you're also there are all these slightly weird, funny takes on various uh, various superheroes and supervillains. Um, and it's all like spun together into this really sort of haunting, complicated lore where like most people like it's a world where there are like explicitly superheroes and supervillains. And yet they're all basically people just trying to do their best. It's like none of these people, like the idea of like moral good or evil is really like put under the microscope and questioned. And it's like most people are just trying to express what they're passionate about and trying to deal with the failures in their own lives and the trauma in their own lives. And sometimes that results in you dressing up like a, you know, a butterfly person and shooting poison darts at people. And that's okay. We're mostly, we're just, a, you know, if that's going to be a way that people express their trauma, then there should probably be an organization that exists to sort of help set the rules and mitigate the fallout damage and make sure that too many people don't get hurt but that's that's all it is it's not like you know it's not like we actually care about taking over the world or anything like that that would be way too complicated well and uh, something that you you know talked about was the 
emphasis on um, kind of introducing a lot of pop culture in like both meta ways, but also ways that are just like, you know, jokes that unless you were already familiar with the material, like you're not going to get because they don't explain it. And I think that that is really important because, you know, in contrast, uh, Ready Player One is something that cannot yes, get great contrast. Yeah, it cannot get enough of pop culture, but does not trust its own audience to know what any of it is. And so every single thing is introduced with like a description of its background and why it is relevant and why you why it's why it should be an important part of your culture, even though you don't know what it is other than reading about it in this book. Yeah, Venture Brothers, on the other hand, is like no, you're either going to get it or you're not because it's part of the joke and we're moving on. Like, yeah, that's, there was this really interesting uh, – so I'll end this part of the recommendation before I transition to the other thing. I hope this episode isn't running too long. Uh, there is no too long. Who cares? Yeah. Do you care, audience? Can't hear you. Whoops. <laughs> uh, the guys who make Venture Brothers, they were they were doing an interview in the release of this new movie, and they were like, it's been a little weird the last 10 years because like – you know, there's a character in the Venture Brothers. Well, there are a lot of superhero parody characters in that show. And it's like one of the main ones is Dr. Orpheus. And they were like, mm-hmm. when we introduced Dr. Orpheus, it was like, yes, he was very clearly a parody of Dr. Strange. But we didn't explain that to people. And there are plenty of people who watched him like the show who like just didn't know that and enjoyed it. It's like they're the we- he's just the weird magic man who, you mm-hmm. know. Is the it's like a divorcee is trying to raise his goth daughter in the ways of magic. It's like you, you don't have to know. You either know it or you don't. But it's fine either way. And so it's been weird watching. Like now everybody's like, now everybody kind of knows who Doctor Strange is, and that's been interesting. And they were also like, but the most annoying thing to us is that like, the it's like somehow, and I felt this in my bones. They were like somehow pop culture like basically took over nerd culture without ever respecting any of the themes or ideas that made nerds like nerd culture which Mm. is basically the thing that i think the venture brother i was really it's like if you watch these movies they take their have all of these nerdy things in them like these radioactive heroes and secret agents and stuff like that but it's all incredibly attractive people you know incredibly charismatic people saving the day at the end of the day and you know going home and boning and stuff and it just it's never any of the thing that actually nerds relate to in this media which is like the you know the sense of alienation and mutation and failure and you know weird how complicated people and relationships could be so he was just like you just threw out there the gauntlet he was like he was like mainstream culture is now nerd culture but still doesn't respect nerds in the slightest uh, which he, I don't think he was trying to be like gatekeepy there. He, I don't think he was trying to be like you know. And so if you it like doesn't Marvel sound movie, like it by the way you're saying it. So. Okay, good. It's like it's not like if you don't if you like Marvel movies that doesn't make you a real nerd or anything like that. He's just like this is stuff that was made and created by people who were like incredibly like nerdy and sort of lonely and isolated and the fandom was driven by people embracing this escapism as a way of like talking to each other and working through their own uh shit and having some community despite the fact that they were generally bad at talking to other people and none of that sense ever permeates into any of the media that gets made in mainstream hollywood that is using the same source material i was like that's an but it's what the venture brothers is all about by contrast yeah, well, and I think that's something that is hard to overstate, too, is that it is a very, very funny show, 
uh, is nonetheless uh, emotionally poignant, and it does have a lot to do with these people who, yeah, very often have some sort of incredible talent or ability or freakish mutation that, yes, is helpful in one regard and has otherwise ruined their life. <laughs> and yeah, so... that's, there was a, like, and it, it, like, I just watched, I mean, I've been binging episodes, so I've watched a lot of episodes, but there was this great moment in a few episodes where, like, basically this guy, like, part of the joke originally was supposed to be that, like, the Venture Brothers, their dad is kind of a dick to them and doesn't really care about them. Uh, and they spend actually a lot of time just, like, unpacking both, like, why he's sort of an ambivalent father at best and also like why maybe he doesn't feel the need to like shelter them or protect them but like even then it it sort of it deconstructs your expectations a lot more than most shows do like there's this episode where he gets kid he basically ever all of these other genius scientists are being kidnapped and he does not get kidnapped and so in order to make him feel better his boys decide that they're going to fake kidnap him so that he doesn't feel like he wasn't good enough to get kidnapped, which is itself a hysterical premise, right? And so they kidnap him and they use voice modulators and, uh, you know, he's blindfolded and they're talking to him and they're like, we have you, we have your sons. And they're like, oh, please, oh God, not, not my boy, not, uh, and, you know, he has two sons, Hank and Dean. He's like, and he's like, not Dean, please, whatever happens, just if you have to hurt someone, hurt me. And they're like, and what about Hank? He's like, ah, I guess you can kill Hank. Uh, which is a shitty thing to say and, you know, might be a throwaway joke. But then they come back later in the episode and Hank just asks him while he's still blindfolded, why would you say that about your own son? And he's like, oh, come on. You guys aren't really going to kill anyone. If you were going to kill me, you would have already killed me. You are you don't know how to – you're obviously amateurs at this, which is fine. I've been kidnapped a lot in my life and I know what that's like. So I know you would never hurt either of my children. But you know what? If you were going to threaten one of my children, then it should uh, – it should be the one who's actually going to, you know, uh, who lives for this stuff as opposed to the one who feels trapped by it. He's like, the one I, the one I wanted you to, like, get rid of and leave alone is, uh, is the one that I know resents this life more. And even though he – like, basically he's saying the one I fight with all the time is the one I recognize the reason that we're fighting is because he didn't ask for this life and he hates that he's trapped in it. And – I didn't mean to do that to him. It's just what my dad did to me, and it's what I sort of accidentally did to him. But, man, do I understand why he's angry at me about it. And it was like, holy shit. Yeah, yeah. And then there are goofs. Quality yeah. goofs. In this weird show, you know, in this, and then this is the same show where Spider-Man's a character, but he flies around by shooting webs out of his butt because that's where the spider web thing normally is in a spider. Yeah, it's... It's a pretty incredible show. It's I haven't seen the, the latest stuff yet, and I need to, but that itself is pretty incredible because, yeah, it was something that, you know, after the end of, you know, whatever the last season was, uh, didn't exactly leave on a cliffhanger, but also it was not in any way a resolution. And so, yeah. Yeah, and it, was, it looked like it was just going to end and never and then they got one more movie out, and so they sort of set out to at least enough that people that the fans would feel like they had gotten uh an ending some closure some ending although in yeah. an open-ended way because they've sort of talked about like well we could always make more episodes but anyway final fantasy 9 uh, <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> all right i will just say uh 
Final Fantasy IX, don't remake it. I mean, if you want to remaster it, that's fine. Even if you wanted to uh, offer, because they came out with a re-release of it fairly recently that was like slightly digitally upscaled and I think like had some like mechanical tweaks that you could make to make the game just like easier and more convenient to play. But yeah. those mechanical que- tweaks are like themselves kind of obnoxious the way that they're implemented and the way that like a lot of them can't be turned on and off like at will like if you enable some features then they're just permanent in the save file which makes you not want to use them except as a last resort so yeah i all i would really want would be a version of final fantasy 9 that maybe you know you you smooth out some of the bugs in the game and you you know give like an optional menu that allows you to tweak as many of the gameplay mechanics as you want to have the experience of playing it that you would exactly like just like you could mod you know just like you could download a computer mod to do um that's all i really ask for but other than that don't change the game again it's not perfect but it does what it does so well it was basically the one that after you know square made basically like eight final fantasies in a row where over the course of like the first six they perfected the mechanics of a final fantasy game and experimented a lot with the story over seven and eight they they made the transition to like uh you know cgi and they spent a lot of time fumbling around figuring out how to try to tell a final fantasy story with a 3d engine and they you know had some triumphs and some tragedies with that and then with final fantasy 9 they were like okay you know we 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 think we got it now we know how to do this we know how to make basically a classic final fantasy game a worthy successor to final fantasy 6 uh that feel that scratches a lot of the same itches, but that has like this beautiful 3d backgrounds to all of the levels. So everywhere you go, there's always like beautiful cityscapes rising behind you or beautiful. The dungeons are all pretty. The overworld still kind of looks like, butt, but you know, <laughs> even it's better than do. eight, like seven was good. The eight overworld took a real dip and then nine seemed to hit the sweet spot, but yeah, still yeah. not great looking. But also you don't spend that much time in it because it's basically it's a it's not like a traditional road game in the in like the way some of the others are. You don't spend a lot of you're not like going like on a quest the entire game to get from like one part of the map to the other part of the map or to complete some ritual. But it is still a game where you spend a lot of time in transit. But basically, you know, at every point in the transit, you you're constantly stopping at new like shrines, new like guard castles new cities and stuff so you're you're never in any one place for very long and it's just playing it again i was just struck by how incredibly competent uh confident it is in its like pacing and its storytelling and its uh its ability to deliver like the exact story experience that it wants you to have while still letting you basically pace out the beats and do side quests and stuff like you want because you know, again, and this was to compare it to Final Fantasy VII Remake, which everybody, fam- like, the 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 pacing of that game is just so blatantly disrespectful. Like, mm-hmm. if you just, wa- if you want to get to the next story beat in that game, you have to, like, you know, backtrack six, you know, it will just not advance the story at all until you have, until it has held your hand and forced you to walk like back and forth across the same section of map like six times 
just because it is so transparently trying to pad out its runtime to give you what feels like a full game experience. And then all of the, you know, levels are like just a little bit too, all of like dungeon levels are just a little bit too long to make you, uh, you know, again, just to feel like you're getting a full experience out of what is transparently padded. And consequently, you know, the actual story in that game, which was a single disc, less than a single disc on the original Final mm-hmm. Fantasy VII, you know, takes like 50 hours to complete or whatever, mostly, but a lot of it's just wasted time. And by contrast, I have now played 10 hours of Final Fantasy IX again. And the first 10 hours, do you know what happens? You. You stage a play. You go to a castle and help a princess escape from the castle, arguably kidnapping her. You crash land in an evil forest. You rescue the princess from a tree monster. You go on an overland trek to get to the next, you know, nearest city of civilization, which involves, like, hiking through an ice cavern and skyjacking a skyship and taking it. And the whole time you're being beset on and hunted by mysterious black mage you know, assassins who are trying to kill you and kidnap the princess for mysterious reasons. And then you get to the city and then you participate in a, you know, a hunt festival. And it turns out that, oh no, your neighbors are like, someone is committing war crimes against them and you have to go investigate that. So you have to go through this big tunnel and fight a fish monster and, uh, you know, go to the city and, you know, uncover the war crimes that are going on there and fight this general who just kicks all your asses and makes you feel like you're not nearly high level enough for the situation you found yourself in. And again, that is when I thought back on those events, I was like, that's got to be like 30 hours of the game, right? Because it all felt so like epic and tangible. And each section of that story feels like really, you know, big and complete and poignant. And no, it's just the first 10 hours of the game. Mm-hmm. And it's just that they knew how like you are – I do think that eventually, like, I remember, like all of these games, it has a little, the final, like, basically lead up to fighting the final boss. Yeah. It it drags a little bit because all of these games, they want to give you enough time to, like, cross off all the side quests and things. So there is a point where, you know, things do start to drag if you, if you don't immediately proceed to the final battle and try to fight the boss a little underleveled. But for most of the game... The story is constantly advancing and throwing new revelations and new characters at you, and you're crisscrossing back and forth on the map. But and this is key: if you come back to a location that you've been previously, it's always changed. It's always like, well, yeah, because you know that city over there was destroyed, so now this city is flooded with refugees, um, and it's just like, a to- and you know, you meet people that you met elsewhere because now they've been fleeing or transporting and stuff like that and so the world you're never it's not like this and i don't get why this is so hard to remember like one of the most annoying things about most modern rpgs is that you will go back to a place after like seven story beats and there's still some guy waiting on you to do a side quest from level three or whatever or you've completed the side quest and he still only has the same three lines of dialogue that he had my entire family has died but i'm still waiting on that apple cooler for breakfast yeah (laughs) i need to give it to my dead daughter and I guess I think it's just like because by the time they were making Final Fantasy IX, Square they had a very clear idea of what they wanted the the combat to be and a very clear idea of what they wanted the story to be, and they just pushed all of their resources into like you know 
delivering like a very polished experience that just is even the way like it integrates its fmvs which are like the anime cutscenes that you get in between just they feel pretty seamless and they feel even though they're obviously like much more high quality than the in-game engine stuff like the transitions do not feel like heavy-handed and i think a lot of that just has to do with there's no dialogue in any of the cutscenes, which i actually think they should just go back to because if there's one thing that makes me want to pull my eyeballs out it's a cut it's like a 20 minute cutscene. So the cutscenes are only ever like two minutes long. They're all pantomimed of people making big wide eyed faces at whatever the fuck craziness is happening. And then we move on and any dialogue is expressed like, you know, in game through, you know, text boxes, which I honestly, in some weird way, I think was a better system than our current system where I have to sit around and, and watch people yeah. stare at each other and bad, do bad Bioware dialogue at each other. No, that that definitely sucks. And then you know, someone who like grew up with, you know, games like this is, you know, the, these FMVs you refer to as we once had, um, those very much felt like special little treats. And right. something that was also, um, especially with Seven, uh, a part of the big reason that that blew people's minds was that it did a pretty good job of incorporating those FMVs seamlessly into the gameplay, not just as like an intro video or a side thing. And then, yeah, what you're describing in nine where it's so natural, but still brief. Like my, my thought was that, you know, you should really only use those kind of cinematics for things that you cannot do through gameplay. But for whatever reason, yeah, game development turned into, well, what if um, we just, kind of had a movie with some game elements in it yeah i've actually i've heard uh i was watching a review of i think final fantasy 15 the other and he was like he was like we have gone from i have to play the game so that i can see the cool cutscene to i have to watch the endless cutscene so i can play the game mm-hmm. and that is a real that is a real fuck up in your priorities yeah gosh 15 that's one that like I think I have to play more once before I die. Maybe is my last act, actually. <laughs> just, to, just to be like, all right, just one last check. Oh, yep, yeah, nope, it's not very good. Life isn't worth living. Goodbye. You know, it's... Uh, I do hear 16 is good, you know. I I have not actually... Like, I hear that it is overhyped. I hear that well, I think that's also true. It's... I hear that it's fine, and also I hear that it's basically not a Final Fantasy game anymore. Like, in the sense that whatever, like, whatever the... Unless you think that a Final Fantasy game, the only thing it's required to have are, like, Eidolons and Chocobos. And that's yeah. all that makes it a Final Fantasy game. I would argue that it's not really a Final Fantasy game anymore. Um, I haven't played it yet, so I can't argue that. But also, uh, that seems reasonable based on everything I've seen. You know, my my hope, where whenever I do play it, is that it will at least be a good enough game that I can be like, all right, Square Enix, like you're cleaning up your act. Let's see what happens next. But I don't know. I think I am also kind of of the opinion that maybe Final Fantasy is dead, and it has been for a while. And yeah, this this could very well just be another game that has a final fantasy name on it at all i think i think what we're waiting well i know so the interesting question is going to be 
Uh, first off, do they remake Final Fantasy IX? And if so, is does it capture any of the magic that I associate with the original game? Which I should also say, just personally speaking, I'm very. If you want to talk about nostalgia and nostalgia buying this, I think for a lot of people, the reason they're so like crazy about Final Fantasy VII is that was there. I know this isn't you, Nick. You're Final Fantasy VI, but for me. Um, a lot of people like Final Fantasy VII was their first Final Fantasy game that they got like when they got the PS, the PlayStation, and it was like a world changing experience. I got my PlayStation a few years after that, like you know, I got a N sixty four like right out of the gate, and that was great. But um, I got I didn't get a PlayStation until it was well into its development cycle, and like one of the first games I played was Final Fantasy IX, and that was my Final Fantasy game that has defined my sense of what the genre should be, and I think it only turns out to be coincidentally interesting but very true that that was the one that lines up the most with like the legacy of what final fantasy was through most of its runtime like we don't talk about this but in many ways seven and eight are kind of outliers to the genre and then 10 went on to be sort of also an outlier not to say that none of those games are good but just sort of be like uh I do think there's a fair argument that final fantasy 9 is in many ways the purest final fantasy game that came out in that in that of the 3d titles it was definitely so it was definitely like a return to form and something else that i didn't learn until years after playing it was that it was also originally not even meant to be a mainline final fantasy title that like apparently everyone was like we seven and eight you know this increasingly realistic and technological direction is where we're going to go but hey let's make a side project that is really just a throwback, you know, for the hardcore fans. And apparently it went well enough that they're like, no, this is going to be the next mainline title. But yeah, it's it's strange that it is, like you're saying, like kind of the more core Final Fantasy game, even though by that point it was kind of a... Well, you know, <laughs> 7 and 8 were the standouts, and then 9 comes out. By that point, it's the standout, and they've never really gone back. Yeah. So you hit they, 12. They went, then... the wrong, they went in the wrong direction. I think they just. I, I think mean, so. I, like I love ten, but yeah, it's. And um, actually, I'm I'm looking at it now, and uh, the guy because I was like, what happened to the guy who made Final Fantasy Nine? And he went on to found Mistwalker, which everybody says is like mm-hmm. the those were the guys who made like Blue Dragon and Lost Odyssey, which many people yes. are like much better written and more interesting games than most of the Final Fantasy games that came out in that same time period. Well, and those are ones that bum me out because those were on the the Xbox, and I never had an Xbox, and so yeah, it was uh, not Shigeru Miyamoto. Um, Hironobu Sakaguchi. Yeah, I went and did. God, I love you're such a good nerd. I love sometimes. I had to look that up, and you just knew the name. Uh, I spent a lot, a lot of time reading about Final Fantasy as a kid, but yeah, he goes and does Mistwalker, and I was. That was bittersweet for me because I was like, I'm probably never realistically going to get an Xbox, but fuck, I want to try these games. Yeah, I'm still Lost Odyssey is, according to many people, like the single best JRPG to come out in like between like 2002 and 2010. Uh, at, at the very least, it's the best JRPG to come out after Final Fantasy X, and you can't play it. There's just no. Yeah, like, I don't even think you can get it on emulator. There's just it's just if you don't like have an Xbox 360. And a fucking di- physical OG copy of the game, game disc, yeah, yeah, it is just gone, and that is just so sad because it is supposed to be so good. Yeah, well, I'm not gonna go on a tangent about this, but uh, Panzer Dragoon Saga 
has a similar fate. It was a, a Dreamcast game that, you know, it took a, a Rails... No, not a Dreamcast, a Saturn game. That's part of the reason. It's it's, it's not... It doesn't exist anywhere else. Um, but yeah, it, it took, you know, it was a rail shooter, turned it into an RPG game, and everyone was like, Jesus Christ, this is incredible. Shame it's on the Saturn. And uh, yeah, it's just... You, 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 there's, there's never been any other way to play it. It's, it's like this, like to me, an almost like legendary kind of game because there are so few copies of it. Like the only time I played it, it was because I was able to find and burn, you know, the, the discs from some sort of torrent site and do the emulation and everything. But, you know, if I could pay for it and just get a, like a reliable version of it, I would love to do that. <sighs> Much has been lost that will never be seen in the light again. Now we know now we know how the elves felt in Lord of the Rings, man. Is this <laughs> so I, I think I I turned forty this year. I think then maybe I'm officially starting middle age. You've got time still, but I wonder like Oh yeah, you should be dating it. You congratulations. You now have I mean, not carte blanche, people will judge you, but it would actually be less weird if you started dating a twenty three year old right now than it would have been last year if you'd been doing the exact same thing so because i already feel kind of weirdly self-conscious about like the last few people i've dated have been like significantly younger than me and then i'm like i can't go younger i can't go out i can't get pervy er but yeah i don't know maybe you're right maybe this is my opportunity yeah get you you know get you that red sports car get you that ridiculously inappropriate girlfriend you know who you know who post videos of you looking sad in the background of her instagram stories she has an artistic mind and just you know like i you know sometimes you think of bubble butt and you're like no shaped after bubbles but now i see bubbles and i'm like i'm just thinking about my inappropriately young girlfriends but uh, yeah that's the life isn't it i don't know i've got more fucking depths to numbly explore in Zelda as I wonder why they added this giant underground section to this game and then didn't put anything in it but rocks. Video games suck now. Let's hope Baldur's Gate 3 is actually good. Baldur's Gate or bust. Yeah. All my all my hopes rest on that one. Uh, a friend who started well, I don't know if he started playing it somehow or if they're just writing about it, but like, you, you do get Volva options. Apparently there's only two options, but you know, you get you get that uh, you get that down into the details. That's very important. Baldur's Gate, everybody. Catch it!